I think you still have lots of secrets. Sure, yes. He's the highest ranking defector from North Korea in decades, and you're about to hear why he thinks the situation is as dangerous as it has ever been. The American general in charge of Korea would agree with that and told us how the U.S. would respond to Kim Jong-un's use of nuclear weapons. It will be met with an effective and overwhelming response. Wipe North Korea off the map. Whatever overwhelms you. Pain is my constant companion. Roger Stringer is in pain because his son, Zach, shot and killed his kid brother with his Remington 700 hunting rifle. But Zach said he never pulled the trigger. No, ma'am. Years later, the family learned the rifle had a trigger defect. Has Remington ever admitted wrongdoing? Never. You cannot admit wrongdoing when you have seven million of these things on the market. Just knowing how vulnerable I was as a kid just ruined me. The girls would say, yeah, he touches you funny. They were top USA gymnasts who are on 60 Minutes tonight to reveal an awful secret. Years and possibly decades of sexual abuse inside the USA gymnastics system, including some of America's top Olympians. I believe what at the end of the day, there are members of every single Olympic team since 1996 he did this to. That's what we're going to end up with. I'm Steve Croft. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. In Thursday's press conference, President Trump would not say how the United States will respond to the actions of North Korea's dictator over the last week. Kim Jong-un tested a new type of missile. Then his estranged brother was poisoned in a Malaysian airport. South Korea's spy agency believes Kim ordered the hit. Kim has nuclear weapons and has promised to test an intercontinental ballistic missile. Such a weapon could eventually carry a nuclear warhead and threaten American cities. That possibility and the missiles he has aimed at South Korea are so dangerous, U.S. Defense Secretary James Mattis went to Seoul on his first foreign trip. We went just days later and saw how tense the situation has become. We got two important perspectives. We spoke to the commander of the 28,000 American troops there, as well as the highest-ranking North Korean to defect in decades. He told us the missiles and murders are part of Kim's raging obsession with the survival of his regime. I've been uh, in Seoul for uh, six months, and to be honest, you know, I was never, you know, public until now. We went for an evening out in Seoul with Young ho he was North Korea's deputy ambassador in London before he defected in August. First time on the subway. Yes, that's right. A defection by someone of his rank is extremely rare. Where do we stand? This was the first time he had walked about in public. Just off camera, six bodyguards watched his every move as we made our way down one of the busiest shopping streets in Asia. North Korea has assassinated defectors in Seoul. In order to prevent more possible defections 
from North Korea, I think Kim Jong-un may do anything. You Even know. kill you? Of course, why not? The man who could order an assassination is Kim Jong-un. The dictator is the third member of the Kim family to rule North Korea. They have controlled the impoverished country with an ironclad fist for 70 years. This was last week's missile test. Kim devotes a quarter of his country's economy to weapons like this and his million-man army, despite widespread food shortages. Kim Jong-un strongly believes that once he possesses ICBM, then he can easily uh, scare off uh, America. Right now, how dangerous is North Korea to the stability of South Korea and uh, as a threat to the United States? Kim Jong-un's capability to wreak harm not only to America, but also South Korea and the world, should not be underestimated. During his five years in power, Kim Jong-un has expanded North Korea's nuclear arsenal, despite international sanctions that have brought his country's economy to its knees. Electricity is scarce. From space, North Korea is a black hole. That's it, wedged between the shining lights of South Korea and China to the north. Tay said he was living a comfortable life here at the North Korean embassy in London before he fled with his wife and two grown sons. The safety is guaranteed by the government. His job in London was to spread North Korean propaganda and report back on his colleagues. You all live together under one roof? Yes. So you could keep an eye on each other? Keep an eye on each other, control each other, and even spy on each other. But Tay said he lost all faith in the regime when Kim Jong-un killed his own uncle in 2013 and executed dozens of perceived enemies, including diplomats. I've seen tape of you giving speeches in London... You're very convincing. You, you, you seem to be a true believer yourself. Uh, uh, if I uh, show any sign of hesitation, then I would be, you know, sent to, to I would be sent to prison camps. So my whole family's life will be jeopardized. Tay said there was one big obstacle to his defection. All North Korean diplomats are forced to leave one of their children back in Pyongyang as a hostage. See, As a hostage? Yes. When my children grow up... His break came when that policy unexpectedly changed and Tay's oldest son was allowed to join the family in London. They all agreed to defect. He would not give us the details of his escape and who helped, but we know he was kept in a safe house by South Korean intelligence agents and questioned for more than three months. He said it was too dangerous for us to meet his family. I've been talking to you for a couple of days now. You come from a secretive place. Yes. But I think you still have lots of secrets. 
Sure, yes. How do we know that what he is telling us mm. is the truth mm. and not just self-serving? Mm. You know, when a defector makes a decision to jump ship, he is doing it at a, at a huge cost. His co-workers, relatives, in-laws will be purged or killed. Mm-hmm. Chung Min Lee was South Korea's ambassador for national security until last year. He said looks here can be deceiving. The risk of war today is exceptionally high. I think most Americans right now would see this as a holdover from the Cold War. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be quite hot That's when right. you're here. This is the only place on the entire planet where you have nearly a million forces on both sides standing ready to fight a war in basically a nanosecond. And who is there right in the middle of this? It's basically the U.S. forces. If there is war, this is where the big fight will take place. Lee helped shape Seoul's policy toward North Korea. He went with us to Panmunjom, the village in the two-and-a-half-mile-wide demilitarized zone that separates North and South Korea. As we got closer, Seoul's sprawl gave way to military checkpoints. The agreement that suspended the Korean War was signed here, but there's still no peace treaty. The war began when the Communist North invaded in 1950. 34,000 Americans were killed in what amounted to a stalemate. So this is the longest war on paper since World War II. So we are still technically in a state of war. Today, both sides still stare each other down. That's North Korea right there, that building just 100 yards away. We were told to avoid sudden movements that could be interpreted as threatening. It wasn't long before North Korean soldiers took an interest in all the activity. So we went inside a negotiation hut that straddles the border. What is right behind? Right the behind the door is basically from there on. This, this is since this is North Korea. Once you go out, that's it. We have no jurisdiction on that side of, of uh, the door. So if I were to walk out that door, that's it. I'm in the hands of North Korea. That's true. Let's stay on this side. Let's stay on this side. <laughs> it was all surreal. This part of the DMZ closest to Seoul had the feel of a Cold War theme park, complete with a fake village on the North Korean side built to impress the South. And in case you missed the point, loudspeakers blared propaganda. Martial songs praising Kim Jong-un. A few miles away, tourists crowded an observation deck. Snapping photos with troops, cardboard cutouts, and the real ones. What the visitors could not see on the other side of those mountains are 10,000 artillery pieces the North Korean military has aimed at Seoul, all of which could reach the 28 million people in and around the South Korean capital. U.S. war planners estimate 500,000 people could be killed in a second Korean war. Is there any other metropolitan area on Earth this vulnerable? Uh, certainly nothing that approaches Seoul in terms of the, the size, the, the density of the population. There's nothing like it. U.S. Air Force General James Slife flew with us over the city. It's just 30 miles from the DMZ. 
we landed at Osan Air Base, where Korean airmen and their American colleagues monitor all activity north of the DMZ. For security, they shut off the giant video displays right before we came in. This facility is among the first to detect North Korean missile launches. You're like on a war footing all the time here. That's right. This is truly one of those places where the best way to prevent a war is being ready for a war. The North's latest missile test used a new type of solid fuel engine and was fired from a mobile launcher, making it quick to deploy and difficult for U.S. satellites to detect in real time. With the development of ballistic missiles, with the development of nuclear weapons, things here have a, have a, a, a tension that you can feel in the air as you, as you move around uh, places like this. We wanted to talk to the general who leads U.S. forces in Korea and would command Korean troops in the event of a war. He asked to meet us at Guard Post 4. It's a citadel on critical high ground at the end of a road lined with landmines. We were the first American news crew allowed in. Hands up. This was no Cold War theme park. Body armor was required, and artillery was on standby in the event we came under fire. Vince Hello, Brooks. General. Nice How to are see you? you. Very nice to meet you. All right. General Vincent Brooks has commanded U.S. forces fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan. I don't think people at home know how tense this line is. What it takes to go from the condition we're in at this moment to hostilities again is literally the matter of a decision on North Korea's side to say fire. And on top of this, we have the missile capability that's been developed. Uh, over 120 missiles fired just in the time of Kim Jong-un alone. So now they're talking about ICBMs that might be able to reach the west coast of the United States. How do you stop them from taking that next step. North Korea is responsible for the direction that the region is going. It is responsible for the conditions of instability that are starting to arise. It has to take responsibility for that and stop. His country is poor. His people are starving. What is it that he wants? Survival. Survival. Kim Jong-un is now recognized as a global threat. U.S. intelligence estimates he has at least 10 nuclear weapons. If the U.S. decided it had no choice but to launch a preemptive strike on an ICBM test site, it could trigger the unthinkable. If North Korea uses nuclear weapons, it will be met with an effective and overwhelming response. And they can take it, take it to the bank. We make that same point to our, our allies and partners like the Republic of Korea, like Japan. Effective and overwhelming response. Effective and overwhelming response. Wipe North Korea off the map. Whatever overwhelms you. That warning rang in our ears as we returned to Seoul and met one last time with defector Young ho We asked about his brother and sister still in North Korea. What do you think has happened to them? They will be sent to prison camps. That is what I'm absolutely sure does that weigh on you? Of course, yes. I cannot uh, get rid of that kind of uh, nightmare every night of uh, seeing my brother and sister in prison camps. 
Tae told us he believes he can help topple the North Korean regime by encouraging other defections and speaking out. During the campaign, President Trump called Kim Jong-un a maniac. His language has been much more careful since the latest missile test. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. A federal judge in Missouri heard arguments this past week in a case involving one of the most popular bolt-action rifles in American history, the Remington 700 series. Here's the problem. Thousands of owners have complained that these rifles have fired without anyone squeezing the trigger. The company has downplayed the danger for decades, and the complaints represent only a fraction of the rifles out there. But 10 attorneys general wrote the court saying, quote, there are potentially as many as 7.5 million defective rifles at issue, and that, quote, Remington knows or should know they are unreasonably dangerous. One avid hunter and gun lover is on a mission to raise awareness about what he calls the rifle's defect. And he has good reason. I have become so accustomed to unpleasant thoughts and hardships, so that has become my new normal. One of Roger Stringer's sons is dead. The other went to prison. Pain is my constant companion. Family photos of better days show dad and sons hunting. Roger, a power line construction foreman from Enon, Mississippi, owned a Remington Model 700 rifle. Very popular gun. And he bought another one for his older, then 12-year-old son, Zach. We loved the one that I had, and he was old enough and mature enough. And how much was the safety stressed? Paramount. But one night in 2011, the two boys, Zach and Justin, home alone, got into a fight. Zach, then 15, got his Remington 700. I loaded it. I loaded it with the purpose of scaring him. You knew you weren't supposed to load the Yes, ma'am. I had been been taught better. He says eventually emotions calmed down. And I started to stand up off of the couch. And when I, when I had been at the waist and started up, I heard a click, and it went off. And uh, I remember the fire leaping from the barrel. I remember seeing it hit. It was just half his head was gone. Panicking, he says, he went and got Justin's gun and placed it between his brother's legs to make it appear as though he had shot himself. Then Zach called his parents. And Zach met me outside, and he said, Daddy, don't go in there. Mm-hmm. And I just pushed him aside, and I came on in, and it was really obvious that... It was right here, too. It was right there. Detectives suspected right away that this wasn't self-inflicted. Zach was arrested the day of Justin's funeral and later confessed that it was his gun, but he insisted it went off by itself. Well, I didn't know how it went off. Did you deliberately kill your baby brother? No, ma'am. Did you pull the trigger? No, ma'am. 
but Zach was convicted and sent off to prison for 10 years. Is it true that you actually testified against him in the trial? I did. Because I'd never heard of a gun going off without a trigger being pulled. It made no sense. What Roger didn't know was that by then, Remington had gotten some 200 complaints claiming just that about rifles like Zach's with a trigger mechanism called the X-Mark Pro. Six months after Justin was killed, another tragedy with the same trigger, this time in Chadbourne, North Carolina. 16-year-old Jasmine Thar and her cousin Jamisha were about to go Christmas shopping. They were standing out in the front yard with their grandmother sitting on the porch. Robert Chaffin, an attorney for Jasmine's family, made this animation. A neighbor across the street in his bedroom picked up a loaded Model 700. The safety was off. And it fired through a closed window. And in what could be the most random act you ever heard of, the bullet traveled across the street and went through Jamesha's chest, barely missing her heart, and basically hit Jasmine almost directly in the heart. And she died in her, the grandmother's front yard there. That's an incredibly tragic case. In a deposition under oath, James Anthony Blackwell, a former Marine and experienced hunter, couldn't explain how his rifle went off. Do you, Anthony Blackwell, believe that you pulled the trigger? No, sir. Do you think you touched it in any way? No, sir. So was he prosecuted? No. Chaffin had already won $17 million from Remington in 1994 for a client who shot himself in the foot when he said his 700 fired on its own. Back then, rifles were made with another trigger called the Walker. The company has faced 150 lawsuits alleging injury or death related to that trigger, but argues it's always human error and never the gun's fault. Has Remington ever admitted wrongdoing? Never. You cannot admit wrongdoing when you have 7 million of these things on the market. But according to a Remington internal document, the company had evidence of the problem as early as 1975 when its own test showed some of the Model 700s firing without the trigger being pulled. And this 1979 document indicates the company considered a recall. That never happened, but a decade ago it did switch from the original Walker trigger to the Mark Pro. They admit under oath in recent testimony that the new model was brought about to the market because they had so many complaints with the older model. Not that there was anything wrong with it. And then it turns out the new model was actually worse than the old model for the first eight years they manufactured it. That's stunning. The X Mark Pro came out in 2006. Yes, ma'am. How soon after that did, they, did Remington start getting complaints? Soon. And they kept coming. Gun fired when safety was taken off twice. Trigger was not touched. Three police departments complained. By early 2010, Remington was getting videos from customers claiming they captured the trigger going off on its own after the safety was released. So you can see the rifle did fire. Never touch the trigger. For years, despite the videos and testing hundreds of rifles sent to the company, Remington typically marked complaints could not duplicate and filed them in a database. And regulators couldn't do anything because their hands are tied. The government is allowed to recall toy guns, but not real ones. 
Then, in February 2014, Remington received this video. You notice I'm in my coat. A Remington owner videotaped an experiment in his garage, showing that the spontaneous firing is more likely in cold weather. As you can see, it fired. With the video all over YouTube, Remington did its own tests in bitter cold. Four out of ten rifles went off. In April 2014, the company fixed the problem and announced a recall of over a million three hundred thousand rifles. Yet, and here's where the critics weigh in, Remington continues to insist no one has been harmed by the Exmark Pro defect. It says that even after settling the case over Jasmine Thar's death. Jasmine's family sued Remington. Yes, they did. How much did they sue for? They sued for over $100 million. I cannot tell you the terms of the settlement. And in that settlement, as all the others, Remington admits no wrongdoing. True. And gets the silence of everybody. True. It's a critical part of it. Chaffin says that even when Remington offers to fix the triggers, they do too little to notify gun owners. The company declined our request for an on-camera interview, but in a statement told us they broadly promoted and advertised the recall. Yet almost three years in, only about one in four of the rifles have been fixed. Nearly a million remain out there. Do you think there are people with this gun, with this trigger mechanism, watching us right now saying, whoa, I have that gun? This will be the first time they ever heard of it. And there's still the issue of the original Walker trigger that remains in millions of rifles. Remington keeps getting complaints, nearly 2,000 in the past four years alone. It's also facing a class-action lawsuit in which owners of guns with the Walker claim the company knowingly sold them a defective product. Remington agreed to settle, offering to replace the triggers for free, even though it vehemently denies there is any design defect in the Walker. A judge has yet to approve the settlement. Todd Hilsey, an expert on class action notices, says the company is confusing its customers by burying the danger. No highlighting of stop using your gun, it might kill someone. What do they say? They say we deny there's any, we deny there's a problem. We deny any wrongdoing. There's nothing wrong with this gun, but But we're willing to fix it. Amplifying his point, 10 attorneys general wrote the judge chastising Remington for refusing to acknowledge responsibility for the harm caused by its defective triggers. If everyone turned their guns in, how much would this cost Remington to fix the problem? The value would be $487 million. Half a billion dollars. Half a billion dollars. In Mississippi, Roger Stringer knew nothing about the class action lawsuit or the recall. He was visiting Zach in prison as often as he could, and Zach kept telling him that he never pulled the trigger. So one day in 2015, Roger picked up his iPhone. I googled Remington Model 700 spontaneous firing. And? I just about dropped the phone when all that stuff showed up. I mean, there was just mountains and mountains of information about those guns, story after story of it happening to other people. He called Remington and found out that Zach's rifle with the Exmark Pro was under recall. That rifle is still being held at the local courthouse. A state forensic expert did test it before the trial, 
But Hal Kittrell, the prosecutor in the case, says he didn't know there had been other instances of the gun going off by itself. If you had known about this issue with this gun, the trigger right, problem, right. would you have gone ahead with the trial? May have gone no, differently? I, I, will, I will say this, Leslie. I mean, had we known that there was a problem with the trigger before we were getting ready for trial, mm -hmm. I can assure you we would have looked into that. We would assess this case based on that evidence. There's no question about that. Shortly after we approached the prison to interview Zach, Roger unexpectedly got word that after five years behind bars, his son would be released for good behavior. Roger now believes his son is innocent and says he will soon ask the Mississippi Supreme Court to reconsider Zach's conviction. He's also written to the judge in the class action case, asking him to hold Remington's feet to the fire. What I'm pushing for is for nobody else to have to walk in my shoes. I don't want anybody else to have to see their baby in the shape that Justin was in that night. What would you like to see Remington do now? Eliminate the danger that is lurking in so many households. Some people are going to say that it's convenient to blame Remington. In other words, what if you're wrong about Zach? There are going to be naysayers. I accept that. I welcome another day in court, but let's do it with all the facts. I'm ready for it. Bring it on. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Now, Dr. John LaPook on assignment for 60 Minutes. The U.S. women's gymnastics team, for all its success over the past few decades, has become embroiled in a dark and disturbing scandal concerning sexual abuse. Last year, the Indianapolis Star investigated cases in which male coaches, members of the national governing organization USA Gymnastics, were accused of sexually abusing female gymnasts. That report prompted young women to come forward with accounts of abuse they had suffered within the U.S. gymnastics system for many years as young girls and competitive gymnasts. These new accusations concern not a coach, but a prominent doctor who'd been working with U.S. Olympic and national teams and other athletes for three decades. More than 60 women have filed complaints so far, and some believe that number may reach into the hundreds. Now, for the first time, three former members of U.S. national teams, one an Olympic medalist, describe in what you should be warned is disturbing detail the treatment they received from Dr. Lawrence Nasser, a man they trusted and felt so comfortable with, they called him Larry. All the girls liked Larry. He was like my buddy. He was on my side. He was so sure of himself. And as a young girl, you're confused. You don't know what's going on. Jessica Howard was the U.S. national champion in rhythmic gymnastics from 1999 to 2001. Very creative, innovative skills. Jeanette Antolin competed with the U.S. national team from 1995 to 2000. She helped UCLA win three national championships. Jamie Dancher won a bronze medal in the 2000 Olympics and was recently inducted into UCLA's Athletic Hall of Fame. She's taken the apple cart and flipped it upside down. They were teenagers in a sport where injuries are common. 
And the professional they turned to for help staying in competition was this man, seen here in instructional videos he posted on his website. Lawrence Nasser, an osteopathic physician, was one of the most famous doctors in the world of gymnastics. As a trainer and doctor, he worked with Olympic and national women's artistic gymnastics teams for more than two decades. That's him right after Kerry Strug's famous ankle injury in the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. And that's him today. Since December, he's been held without bail in Michigan, where he worked at Michigan State University's sports medicine clinic. He's charged with possession of child pornography and criminal sexual conduct involving the daughter of a family friend. Investigators were able to make the case against him because gymnasts went public after years of silence. The police and FBI are now investigating dozens of other cases involving Nasser, some decades old, others within the last two years. Dancher off to a great start tonight. Jamie Dancher says she started seeing Dr. Nasser around 1995 after she became a member of the U.S. Junior National Team. I started having really bad lower back pain on my right side of my back. Um, so I went to him for my back pain. What specifically would he do? He would put his fingers inside of me, um, move my leg around. He would tell me I was going to feel a pop and that that would put my hips back and help my back pain. How old were you then when he first did that procedure? I was either 13 or 14. I was 15 years old and I had a hip problem, a very severe hip problem. USA Gymnastics suggested that I go to the Caroli Ranch to work with their doctor. The Caroli Ranch outside Houston, Texas, is a mecca for elite gymnasts who have given up any semblance of normal childhood to pursue their Olympic dreams. Run by the legendary coaches Bella and Marta Caroli, it's where members of the U.S. National Team for Artistic Gymnastics come roughly once a month for several days of intensive training. The girls stayed in cabins on the property, and Dr. Nasser would be there to provide medical treatment. He started massaging me, and um, he had asked me not to wear any underwear. And then he just continued to go into more and more intimate places. And when that happened, what, what was going through your head? I remember thinking something was off, but I didn't feel like I was able to say anything because he was, you know, this very high-profile doctor, and I was very lucky to be at the ranch working with him. Did any of the other girls in your cabin talk to you about Dr. Nasser? Yes. The girls would say, yeah, he touches you funny. I remember being uncomfortable because of the area, but in my mind, I was like, if this helps, I'll do anything. Did you ever complain to anybody about it? No. Why not? It was treatment. You don't complain about treatment. <laughs> Dr. Nasser has pled not guilty to the charges against him in Michigan. In a statement from his lawyers, he has defended his treatment as legitimate. There is a rare therapy for back and hip pain where specialists massage areas inside the vagina. But for a minor, it's expected such a procedure should involve a chaperone and use of a glove. Did he use a glove? No. And how many times did you have this kind of a procedure? I mean, it happened all the way to the Olympics in Sydney. So I was 18. From the time you were around 13 or so 
until 18. Yes. And it was just, in your mind, normal medical treatment. You've got a 52-year-old man placing his hand in the vagina of nine-year-olds, ungloved, for no good reason. Wrong. California attorney John Manley represents the women we interviewed and more than 40 others, one as young as nine years old and most under 18 at the time they say they were abused. How many women do you think he did that to? We know uh, that there are at least 60 that have come forward. My best uh, estimate is it's in the hundreds and possibly more. Are you saying that members of the last two Olympic teams from Rio and from London were affected by Dr. Nasser that they were abused by him? I believe what, at the end of the day, there are members of every single Olympic team since 1996 he did this to. That's what we're going to end up with. What makes you so sure about that? Because this is somebody who is a serial predator. But the story here is that no one was watching to protect these girls. And they put medals and money first. By they, Manly means USA Gymnastics and the Carolis. He's not arguing they knew anything about sexual abuse. Many years went by before the women we interviewed complained to anyone in authority. But part of the reason for that, Manley argues, was a high-pressure, emotionally abusive environment at the ranch, which he says made it easy for Nasser to win the girls' trust. I mean, the, the like yelling and screaming, that was like normal. Really? Yeah. What kind of abusive things were said to you? It, it was never good enough. You're not good enough. The pressure that they put on you to be perfection for them it was very overwhelming and stressful. It was an environment of fear. And he stepped in and became the good guy. He Dr. Nasser, Dr. Nasser did. He gave him candy. He gave him encouragement. He acted like he cared about them. No one else there gave that impression. What were these girls so afraid of? Not being able to fulfill their dream. I mean, you've given up your childhood and you've given up your adolescence to represent your country. And the Corollis and the selection team who are there have control on who goes. So your fate is in their hands. You must do what they say. On behalf of the women, Attorney Manley is suing the Corollis and USA Gymnastics for failing to protect their athletes. USA Gymnastics President Steve Penny declined to speak with us on camera about Dr. Nasser. In a statement, the organization said it is appalled that anyone would exploit a young athlete or child in this manner. USA Gymnastics first learned of an athlete's concern about Dr. Nasser in June 2015, the statement said. Five weeks later, after an internal review, it reported him to the FBI and relieved him of any further assignments. USA Gymnastics told us it has long had a policy that adult staff should avoid being alone with a minor. How often were you alone with him? Most of the time. Just in the treatment area or also in your bedroom? In our um, cabins. Uh -huh. They were like cabins, yeah. So that's like your bedroom? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did the Carolis know that Dr. Nasser was alone with you for these treatments? Yeah. H how do you know that? Well, they had to know. I mean, there, there was no one else sent with him. And that's the thing, too, to think, like, 
in the bed? Why would it, like... The treatment was in the bed. In my bed that I slept on at the ranch. Bella and Marta Caroli declined to give us an interview, but in a statement they said they were never aware that Nasser was performing this procedure or was visiting athletes in their rooms without supervision. They also denied that there was an emotionally abusive environment at the ranch. Long before Dr. Nasser's arrest late last year, USA Gymnastics was facing criticism over its handling of sexual abuse complaints about coaches at its member gyms throughout the country. According to an investigation published by the Indy Star in August, USA Gymnastics received a complaint that one of its coaches, William McCabe, should be locked up before someone is raped, but did not report it to the authorities at the time. It was only after the mother of a gymnast called the FBI seven years later that McCabe was sentenced to 30 years in prison for sexually exploiting gymnasts. Marvin Sharp was named USA Gymnastics Women's Coach of the Year in 2010, but was the subject of a sexual abuse complaint the following year. USA Gymnastics didn't report Sharp to the police until four years later when another complaint came in. Sharp killed himself in jail while facing molestation and child pornography charges. An association has a responsibility, or should have a responsibility, and that is to take care of its members. And do you think USA Gymnastics has done that? No. Senator Dianne Feinstein is the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. She's met with the women we interviewed and other gymnasts and is now working on legislation to correct what she sees as a problem in the reporting of sexual abuse complaints. If an amateur athletic association like USA Gymnastics receives a complaint, an allegation, they must report it right away to local police and the United States attorney. So this wouldn't apply just to gymnastics. It would apply to all Olympic sports that have a national governing body? All amateur athletic organizations, that's right. What I like about this routine is she has a real variety of skills. It's been nearly two decades since the women we interviewed competed at the highest level of their sport. She's a young, new, up-and-coming star. She has really been having the meat of her life. Today, they say they're still grappling with the psychological impact of their competitive careers. Jeanette Antolin told us it was only last year, after speaking with other gymnasts, that she realized Dr. Nasser hadn't been helping her with her back pain after all. It was like, almost like a light bulb went off. Like, oh my gosh. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I trusted this man. And just knowing how vulnerable I was as a kid to even not even think that something like that would be inappropriate just ruined me. I'm Bill Whitaker. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes.